Amen. Well, let's get into the sermon today. Um, some of y'all know a guy named Mike Tyson. Amen. In Mike Tyson's heyday, he was the most feared boxer of my lifetime. People were scared to death to get into the ring with Mike Tyson. And if you saw him fight, you knew why they were scared. Um, and, and here's the thing. He actually won many of his fights before he ever got in the ring. Somebody knows what I mean. There was such an aura of fear around Tyson that if his opponents bought into that fear before the fight, then they were defeated before the bell ever rung. So why am I talking about that? Because sadly, many people live their lives with that kind of fear and terror of God every day. And here's what's even sadder. Many Christians do that. They may be struggling with a sin or an ongoing issue of sin, and they live life just waiting for that other shoe to drop so that when God sees them fail again, you failed again, see you failed again, then he can decide it's time for them to taste some of my wrath. And many people who believe in Jesus Christ and love him live under that kind of fear of God. But today, what I want you to see as we look in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, is that God does not have that kind of fear for his people. That's not the fear of God that the Bible talks about. And we'll see that that kind of mindset, this God who is waiting to pounce on you, this God who is waiting for you to mess up again, that kind of mindset is not from the Bible. It's not from the Holy Spirit. That mindset comes from the devil himself. It's wicked. It's destructive. But here's the thing, just like the opponents of Tyson, if that is your mindset, then you have no chance to win your own fight against sin, against your flesh, and against the devil. So we need a brand new mindset. So let's stand together this morning and let's read from the Word of God. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Let's read God's Word together. One Sabbath... Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Verse 27. Then they said to him, 
The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Hallelujah. God's word is good news. Amen. Good news from God's word. And today I'm going to preach on the title resting in Jesus. We're in this story of Jesus series. And today I want to talk about resting in Jesus. Tell somebody else you ought to rest in Jesus. Amen. We ought to rest in Jesus. We need to learn to rest in him. Let me pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would be here and that you would minister to every person under the sound of my voice today, whether they're in this room or whether they're watching virtually. Lord, by your spirit and by your word, touch hearts and help us, Lord God, to see you a little bit more clearly today. Do your God work in your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to jump right in to the text today. And, and first, I just want to describe the scene of what is going on here in Mark chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples, it's a Sabbath day. And, and the scripture says that the disciples are with Jesus and they're walking through a grain field. And as they're doing that, the disciples are a little bit hungry. And so they are picking off some of the grains. It's not their own field. It's someone else's field. I don't know if they know whose it is or not, but they're just helping themselves and, and taking a little bit of grain and getting a little, a little snacky snack on their way to where they're going. Amen. So, so, so that's, that's what's happening. And, and, and the, the interesting thing is that there is actually provision in God's law for exactly that thing. The scripture says, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick the kernels with your hand. But you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. In other words, He's saying, God is saying, I'm going to take care of my folks. If you're walking through somewhere and you're hungry, you can get yourself a little something, something, right? But said, now, now, now be mindful of your neighbors. Don't take a sickle and start harvesting their grain. That would be ignorant, y'all. Don't do that. But you can take some samples with you. It's like Wegmans on a Saturday morning. Amen. You, you go in there and you act like you want that. You don't really want it. You just want the samples. Amen. But how many of you have been caught just like I have? Oh, that is so good. I'm getting two of those. Right. Uh, but but here they are. They're going through the grain field and they're taking a little something, something as they go. The law of God said, cool, you can do that. But here come the Pharisees and, and, and look at what they say. Look at what they say. The first word there um, is look, look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? They're talking to Jesus. And that word look there it is something to get your attention. That, that, that's kind of like watch out, like gotcha, Jesus. That is, that is saying pay attention to this because now we've got you dead to rights, Jesus. You, you're all this holy guy, you're preaching, you're casting out demons, you're doing all this other stuff. But look, you don't even care about the Sabbath. They think they've got Jesus Christ dead to rights. 
but they don't. <laughs> because the word of God doesn't have anything to say about what they're doing. What's going on? Why are they saying that they're not doing what's lawful on the Sabbath? They're saying that because on top of what's in the scripture, the Pharisees and, and, and rabbis added law upon law upon law to God's law. They had 39 different provisions about what you cannot do on the Sabbath day that weren't necessarily in the scripture at all. And the disciples, according to the Pharisees, were breaking some of those provisions. Number one, they were reaping, according to the Pharisees. Now, they weren't reaping with a sickle. They were just taking a little grain, but that was reaping as far as the Pharisees were concerned. They were sifting, which was another one of the 39 that you can't do. They sifted when they removed the husks from the shell. They were threshing. You can't thresh on the Sabbath day according to those 39 laws. They did that when they rubbed the heads of the grain and then they were winnowing because you can't throw the shaft, the shaft into the air. So according to a pharisaical understanding of the Bible, they were breaking all these Sabbath laws, but the problem was those laws were not in the book. And so Jesus is going to instruct them. He's going to give them a lesson in how to rightly understand and interpret the scripture. It's a lesson that we need in our day as well. Who's ready to hear that lesson? Okay, a couple people want to hear the lesson, so we'll do it. I was hoping at least one person would say yes. Amen. So here we are. Jesus corrects the Pharisees, verses 25 and 26. He answered, have you never read what David did when his companions were hungry and in need in the days of Abiathar, the high priest? He entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he gave uh, he gave some of his some to his companions as well. So he goes back to the scripture in in in, in the scripture when the. Bible talked about the Sabbath. It was very simplistic in its instruction. He said, on six days you can work, but on the seventh day you need to rest. You need to make that a Sabbath holy unto God. But he doesn't go into nitty gritty things that the Pharisees went into and that others went into to guard the Sabbath. He simply said, don't work on the Sabbath. Make that a day holy to the Lord. How many of us would break that command if eating and getting a little something, something on the Sabbath was a problem, right? We'd all be breaking that. And so uh, Jesus tells them, he, he goes to this story in 1 Samuel 21, uh, verses 1 through 6. And I'm not going to read through that, but, but I want you to see what's going on. In this story, David goes into the temple or into uh, the, the, the place where the consecrated bread was, and there's not a temple yet, uh, but and, and he eats the consecrated bread along with his companions. But look at this. Number one, 1 Samuel 21 has nothing to do with the Sabbath. So Jesus is correcting the Pharisees about Sabbath, and he goes to a scripture that doesn't even mention Sabbath. 
Jesus wants to teach us about how to understand the scripture. Here's a problem that we have uh, many times. When we're looking at a particular subject, let's let's just say marriage, and we want to do some some marriage counseling. If you can only go to the scriptures that talk about marriage, then you're not doing most of what you're called to do. Amen. We got two married people right over here right now. Maranatha and Matt, newly married, first time back. They skipped two Sundays. I don't know what's up with that, but now they're here. And, and let me just say this. Maranatha was messing with us because she, t- you did it in private. I'll do it in public. So um, she tells, she's asking Harriet and I in marriage counseling, should we, we're getting married on Saturday. Should we be in service on Sunday? And we're like, are you crazy? You better not be in service on Sunday. And, and we just went in and we gave them biblical principles of why they shouldn't be in service on Sunday if they got married on Saturday. And, and we're just going in. And then after they left, my wife and I turned to each other and said, were they messing with us? Sure enough, they were. Don't mess with your pastor. He's got a public forum. Amen. But, but. Praise be to God. It's good to see y'all here today. Amen. Amen. But if you only look at scriptures that talk about marriage, you're missing 99% of what the Bible has to say about marriage. Because it's about the heart of God. It's about relationship. It's about love. And that's all over the word of God. And so Jesus correcting the Pharisees about Sabbath doesn't go to a scripture about Sabbath, but he goes to a scripture where he wants them to know about the word of God. And that's the second thing here. First Samuel 21 has everything to do with understanding the nature of God's law. What it is what it's for what it's not and what it is not for. 1 Samuel 21 is going to show that although God in his ceremonial law prescribes certain things, God's law is there to care for his people. David is in a place where he is running from Saul. Saul wants to kill David. He just before that was the scene with David and Jonathan when he leaves Jonathan and he is running because Saul wants to kill him and he's hungry and he goes in here and the priest is able to give him these consecrated loaves. Why? Because in the ceremonial law, everything is about how do we glorify God? And when we glorify God, God takes care of his people. It's not to withhold something. And so that is the third piece I want you to see here is that Jesus shows them how they totally miss the true meaning of Sabbath. Totally miss the true meaning of Sabbath. And their fundamental error is this. They don't understand how to rightly interpret and apply the word of God. I wish that was just a problem 2,000 years ago, but it continues to be a problem. How do we rightly understand and apply the word of God? Here's what I want you to see with the Pharisees. The Pharisees treat God's word as a legalistic regulation rather than a life-giving revelation. Amen? 
They treat God's word as a legalistic regulation rather than a life-giving regulation. And the question is, how do you treat God's word? Let's be careful. Here's here's what I mean when when I say that. When we spend our time trying to figure out legalistically how to get on God's good side. Come on now. When we're trying to get on God's good side, we're treating the word of God as if it is a legalistic regulation rather than a life-giving revelation. When we do that, we're playing into the trick of the enemy that the scripture doesn't support. So here's what I need you to get, y'all. I need you to get this real deep in your heart. Hear me when I say this. If you are in Christ, you're on God's good side. Tell someone else you're on God's good side. Tell someone you're on, tell someone else you're on God's good side. If you're in Christ, you are on God's good side. Did you have a good night last night? Did you do good? I don't know. Did you do bad? I don't know. This I know. If you're in Christ, you're on God's good side every day, every night, every morning, every evening, every noonday. You're on God's good side. Let me ask you a few questions. Let's drive this point home. Jesus lived a perfect life for you, didn't he? Jesus died on a cross for your sins, didn't he? Jesus got up from the grave early Sunday morning for you, didn't he? And Jesus is coming back again for you, isn't he? Amen. You are on God's good side. Here's what I want you to know. Don't waste your life trying to figure out how to get on God's good side. If you're in Jesus, Jesus is on God's good side. If you're in him, you're on his good side. When you do that, when you're spending your life that way, you're operating from a a, a faulty assumption that God is somehow out to get you. That he's just waiting for you to mess up and then squash you and punish you. That's how the Pharisees saw it. Can we be real for just a minute? Can we, can we talk? Let's, let's, let's be real. I want you to say this to someone else. And, and, and then that person can say it back to you. Just figure out how you're going to do that. So I want you to say this. If God is waiting for you to mess up. And then the other person can say it to that person. If God is waiting for you to mess up. Now say this. He won't have to wait long. He's not going to have to wait long because you mess up every day, every night in thought, in word, in deed. You mess up all the time. And so do I. See, we spend this time, waste this time trying to get on God's good side. He says, you're already there. You're already there. Here's, I want you to see this as well. When when you do that, you are not making God the focus of your life. I want you to put up this other slide here. 
When you're living in a fear of punishment, God is not your focus. You are. You are focused and obsessed with yourself. You're not focused on God. You're not focused on loving God. You're not focused on serving God. You're not focused on walking with God. You're focused on not breaking a certain law, doing a certain thing so that God would punish you. You're focused on yourself, not on God. So let, let me use this analogy. When, when I was learning to drive, um, I was absolutely, totally frightened that when I started, I don't know why, but when I started driving, that I, I was going to get into an accident and go head on with another car. And I was going to hurt someone. I might kill somebody. And, and I was scared. I was very, very scared about doing that. And so I developed my strategy. My strategy was this. When I started driving, when I saw another car coming, I'm going to look exactly at that car so that I know exactly where it is so I won't hit it. How many of y'all know that's a really dumb strategy? That is a bad strategy. And the first thing I was taught after I almost hit a car head on what by my teacher was don't look at those cars. Look at where you're trying to go, right? Look at where you're trying to go. And what I found was when I focused way down the road where I'm trying to go, my body and the car worked together and it brought me to that place where I was trying to go. I didn't have to focus on that other car. But here's the thing for us spiritually. What's true physically is also true spiritually. When we are focused on what we're not supposed to do when we are focused on God's character in the wrong way as if he's just waiting to punish us when we mess up we're missing the God of scripture altogether and we're not able to put away those old ways and take on his new ways because we're missing God and only he can help us to do that we can't do that ourselves my strategy did not work well, y'all. It wasn't a good strategy. And so here is the, this new way of thinking. It's not legalistically focusing on avoiding God's wrath, but it is basking in the reality of the one who has loved you from before the very foundation of the world. God wants you to experience the reality of his love so much so that nothing in this world, not death nor life, not angels or demons, not, not uh, the, the future or the past or anything to come, nothing in all of creation, the writer of Romans says, Paul says, is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The central issue for the Pharisees was that they did not know how to rightly interpret the scripture. And messing up on the scripture they had a wrong conception of the character of God himself. And so they put heavy weights on themselves and they put heavy weights on everyone around them. Listen, we become dangerous people when we are legalists. 
And we become dangerous to others around us because we are the ones who will judge. We become Lord of the Sabbath. Just like the Pharisees saw themselves in this scripture. Here's what I want you to see. Very often Christians as well still miss the forest for the trees when we interpret scripture. We might latch onto one little phrase or one verse and then that verse or that phrase we say applies to everybody in this way all the time even though we don't really know what it means we may not know what the words actually mean we don't know what the context of the verse is we don't know uh, why it was spoken and, and, and what was going on there but we latch on to a phrase and we say this is what the word of God says God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, even if I don't understand it. That's what we're doing. And here's the problem. That can become abusive. That can become difficult. Let, let me just give you one example of how that happens. Uh, I'll just use one word, submission. Submission. People have read the scripture about submission. They've read it wrongly in such a way that people abuse other people, but they have a right to abuse that person because the Bible says, you see that? And they don't rightly understand what submission means. They don't understand that submission first by everyone is submitting to God himself. They don't understand that leadership and authority is to be acted out of love, that we should die to ourselves in order to love others and care for them. And we just look at authority and submission in some ungodly way, but we say the Bible says. We've got to rightly understand the word of God. Ligonier Ministries, which was the ministry of R.C. Sproul, uh, says this. In any case, Jesus' appeal to David's example establishes that rightly understanding the old covenant law requires taking the entire old covenant canon into account. Can't just look at a verse and make stuff up. He says, you got to look at what the whole word of God says. You know, that's true in the New Testament as well, y'all. Amen. And then he says, one passage of scripture is not properly interpreted in isolation, but in light of all the scriptures. He go, they go on in this quote. It's not on the board, but let me read this for you. It says, one fundamental error that most cults make is to take one passage of scripture in isolation and exalt it over all others at the expense of the meaning of the other passages. Now, what I would add is that is not just what cults do. We can all do that. And Christians and different traditions can do that. We've got to be careful about it. He says, but God has not given us only one passage. He's given us a canon of 66 books and each passage must be interpreted in light of the whole scripture. This is what uh, in a reformed understanding they call the analogy of scripture. Scripture, uh, interpreting scripture. We've got to allow the Bible to do that. So Jesus pushed against this legalistic understanding of the Bible that consistently missed the heart and purpose of God. Here, here's what I want you to see. The Sabbath 
was not a trap set by God to catch lawbreakers. Sabbath was a provision that God gave his people as a tremendous blessing to understand who he is and his love for them. They got it all twisted. Sabbath was given to demonstrate that God was for his people, not against them. Sabbath was given to show them that God was actively working for the good of his people. Here you go, coming out of the Exodus. Imagine being slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and they come out of the Exodus, they go into the wilderness, and God gives his commands, and one of his commands is to remember the Sabbath day. You shall not work on that day. That's a long commandment right there if you look in the Bible. And so he tells them, don't work on this day. This is set apart from for God. You've been in slavery, in bondage. You haven't had a day off in 400 years. Do you think that's good news? It's like, yo, a day off every seventh day. Wow, and the Sixers are playing. This is great. They're excited. They have a day off. It's God's blessing upon his people. But but he, uh, Nigerian theologian Victor uh, Bibaje Cole puts it this way. He says, to neglect human need so as to keep Sabbath is to miss the very point of Sabbath observance. To neglect human need, oh, but we got to keep the Sabbath, is to miss what it's all about. Here's what I want you to see. The irony of the Pharisees' understanding is that Sabbath became not a joyous celebration of freedom from captivity, but a new form of captivity with God himself as the slave master. And that is what happens to us over and over and over again when we buy into this legalistic, what can I do to get on God's good side type of thinking. God becomes a slave master and he's a hard one because he's perfect and he's holy. All All the other people that have authority, you can see their faults. He has no faults. If you've got to live up to that every day and all the time, you'll always be under it. The problem is that we can still see those things that way today. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who sets us free, not only from certain sin patterns, but from a way of thinking that demonically keeps us under bondage and leads us away from the freedom of being the children of God. The whole book of Galatians is about that. It is about coming into your sonship, coming in to be a son or a daughter of the living God and not having to be tied to legalistic ways, but set free to serve the God who's loved you from eternity to eternity. And so that leads us to the end of this scripture today. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, someone ought to say amen. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 27 and 28, then the Lord, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus starts here by saying that the Sabbath was made for us. 
We weren't made for the Sabbath, but this was made as a loving provision of God for us. The Pharisees miss that too often. Christians miss out on that in this day. I want you to see this. Whenever God's love and the saving work of Jesus is moved away from the center, Scripture itself can become a destructive tool. When you don't see Jesus and his saving work as the center of what God is unveiling in this 66 books of one book, the Bible, if you miss that, you'll mess up and scripture can become a tool of destruction, a tool of death rather than life and redemption. What is meant to give life is instead used to destroy That is why rightly understanding the Bible is so important for us. Esau McCauley is a professor of New Testament at Wheaton College. He's black and he highlights the idea that every culture comes to the scripture with different sets of questions based on their lived experience based on where they've been and what they've done. When they read the word of God, they come with different sets of questions. Now, Macaulay is clear. Ultimately, it's not our questions, but the word of God that reigns supreme. But if we're going to tease out what's in there, if we're going to understand it rightly, it helps us to have multiple perspectives, not just one perspective, multiple perspectives, asking questions, looking at it from different angles to come to understand the word of God. Brothers and sisters, that's the beauty of the multicultural church. Amen. We've got all kind of people with different experiences and together we come together to understand the word of God. That's why I try to read not only uh, the, 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 the white reformed theologians of the past, but I try to read other theologians, other perspectives. I want to see and I want to tease open what's in the word of God. My my. Professor at Westminster, uh, Vern Poitras, who I dearly love, talks about multi-perspectivalism. When we understand the word of God, we look at different perspectives and then come to know God more rightly. We need to do that. The Pharisees miss that Jesus is the center of everything. So Jesus makes this final statement to them. The son of man is Lord or ruler over the Sabbath. Here's what you have to see in that. Because the Sabbath is is a central piece of what it meant to be a Jewish person. It was what set the Jews apart more than anything else was their observance of the Sabbath. They were different from every culture, every people around them because they were the ones who had this day that their God, the Lord himself, Yahweh, had declared you have Sabbath and they were different from everyone else and distinct and set apart because of that. The Sabbath was given by Yahweh on the mountain with Moses. He gave Sabbath to the people of God and now Jesus says I'm Lord of the Sabbath can you imagine what it's like in that moment to hear those words Sabbath came from Yahweh who does this man think he is 
Jesus didn't think he was the son of man or the son of God or the second person of the Trinity. He knew who he was. He is God incarnate and I am the Lord of Sabbath. I am over all. Jesus, look what he did here in this scripture. He, he quotes David and he talks about what David did in 1 Samuel. David was the great king of Israel, not when he went through that, but he was to become the great king. And here is Jesus now, the one who is a son of David and yet Lord over David. He's not just a great, great king of Israel, but he is the king of kings. He is Lord of the universe and he is Lord of the Sabbath. So what I want you to see as we close out today. You, if you're paying attention, you'll notice I didn't do what I usually do. At the beginning of my sermon, I give you my main point. I didn't give you a main point. You're like, does Pastor Larry have any point today? I don't know. He's up there, he's talking, but I don't know if he has a point. I do have a point. Here's the main point of today. When we rightly understand the Bible, we rejoice in the reality that Jesus is Lord. And we're able to rest in his care for us. Just a moment after I pray, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus gave this to us 2,000 years ago, a way to remember that every good and perfect gift comes from him. As we eat the bread, which represents his body, as we drink the cup, which represents his blood, we can remember always that God is for us. And if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us. As we take communion, Pastor Tim's going to lead us in that. God may be dealing with some of you and he may be encouraging you. And if you want to come forward after communion to pray, we'd love to have you do that. If you want prayer, if you're living under this idea of how can I get on God's good side, if you know that that is something that comes at you again and again and again and again, and you want to do business with God today, say, Lord, I don't want to be under that yoke any longer. Set me free, God. I am your child. I'm your son and your daughter. And I don't want to think this way and be in bondage any longer. We just invite you to come up for prayer. Let me pray right now. Father God, we thank you today that you are Lord of everything. You're Lord of Sabbath. You're Lord of our lives. You are Lord of the universe. There is nothing in all of creation does not bow down before you and say, Lord and Master. And so, Lord, I pray that you will do your work by your Spirit to set your people free, to show us, Lord, how to rightly understand your word, to rightly divide it, but, Lord, also to live it out. Lord, set your people free. Set your people free. Set your people free.
from bondage and from lies. You are the lover of our souls. Help us, oh God, to bask and to live in that love to the praise and to the glory of your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.